0: Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So, enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. A theme of this morning is joy. Um, I don't, I don't, I just want to, you know, try to transition here just a a smidge. Um, So we're going to watch a bit of a video together. Feel free to respond to the video as you see fit. Hopefully you will, and you'll understand what I mean in just a moment. But all right, guys, go for it, roll it. Feel free to pass out the cokes. now, that's great. You're good. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ben. Anybody not smile? (laughs) If you did not smile, we should have coffee sometime. We should talk. We should talk. Uh, Mary Steffi sent me this video. I don't even remember. It's been a couple years or whatnot. (laughs) And I, I, I thought about it this week as I was getting ready for this morning, and I... The, the, the first time she sent it to me, I probably watched it two or three times and was at least smiling, if not laughing out loud. And uh, I remembered it and watched it again this week, twice at least, was laughing at the same, uh, it was just so, so good. My, my, has anybody ever laughed like that before? My... <laughs> My kids think I'm the dumbest person when I get that laugh going. And it could be for the stupidest reason. Sometimes, (laughs) Christian's in the back like, yeah, you're an idiot. Uh, (laughs) I saw him look at Connor. Sometimes I I get into those times of laughing and I end up laughing at myself laughing. You ever do that? You're just laughing because you're laughing and then it perpetuates the the laughter anyway. Um, I wanted to start off that way this morning. just to help us smile a little bit. It was funny this week, because Douglas and I, our drummer, were, were talking, and, and he's like, do you have a really deep message? Because the songs are, like, really deep. I'm like, no, I'm talking about joy. <laughs> so I don't know how these things mesh together. I think they do. Um, but uh, so, oh, Jane, can you do me a favor? There's those balloons there that I forgot to bring up with me. Great. Great. Uh, so last week, um, uh, last week we ran into uh, a tax collector in Luke chapter 18, and uh, he, he had this experience of beating his chest and asking God for mercy. And what's interesting this week in this week's gospel text is that you have almost kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, same kind of thing. Another tax collector um, who goes by the name of Zacchaeus, uh, which is probably a familiar story to anybody who's ever been in in church as a kid because there's a little song and ditty that comes with it. But you have, on one hand, this this tax collector that beats his his chest and asks for God's mercy, and then we're going to see today and we're going to encounter this tax collector that just comes to Jesus with pure, absolute joy. Uh, And so... Before we get into the the text, I I think it's pointing that out is helpful for us because it helps us to understand the breadth and the experience of our lives with God. So it's never just uh, either one or the other. We always hold things in tension. And, And what happens, I think, in our lives because we're people of creature comforts, because uh, when we encounter something that is true and good, we think that is the the only thing. And so like for me, I'm more obviously disposed to, uh, well, maybe not obviously, but if you know me at all, I'm more uh, uh, disposed to the God have mercy on me, a sinner. uh, The joy thing is, not hard for me to come by, but it's a little harder for me to come by. Um, But I think with each one of us, we find kind of these pockets of comfort in our faith and our life with God and our spirituality and our experience. And it's always good to be reminded that there is is a breadth of our life with God and our experience with God. It's never just this narrow thing, but God is is great and Grand, and there is so much to experience uh, of life with God. Um, so let me just. Uh, there's. There's. Um, we're not going to go dive very deeply into this passage this morning, but uh, the New Testament uh, letter reading for us today talks about this expansiveness. Uh, it comes from First Thessalonians chapter one verse three, and this is what Paul writes. Again, not going deeply into this, but want to just use this. Uh, in an illustrative way. He says, We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightfully so, because your faith is growing more and more. And I just want to, I hope these things aren't too old. <laughs> Holy moly. Right? Growing more and more, and the love that you have for one another <laughs> That was fun. is <laughs> increasing. we'll just call it that. Okay, can't make it go anymore. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and your faith and all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring. And so this is what I want to invite us to consider this morning as we think about last week. uh, And this is the beauty of the narrative of Scripture is it continues to speak to one another. It continues to inform one another. And so on one hand, last week we had this tax collector Who is pleading for god's mercy this week we're having another tax collector that is just coming into the pure joy of jesus and one of the things that we want to continue to do as the people of god is expand and continue to have expand just the a life of the spirit that is within us and so it's not just about our particular experience but it's it's about um, the spectrum of the experience that we have in our life uh, with god That was a dud. Anyway, uh, all metaphors do fail, and so, you know, we could say that we need this week's experience of joy to, to fill up the balloon, so to speak, and to speak to our experience of seeking God's mercy, but I think it's the same. It can go both ways. We need both ends of the spectrum. We need to be able to experience, and we want to be able to experience this idea of God's mercy and also the joy of God that God gives us. And so, uh, you know, if we think of our soul as this expanding and, and even beyond our physical selves, just this expanding space where we welcome and invite the Spirit of God to continue to breathe, that's the kind of people uh, I want to continue to encourage us to be. And so let's look at this other tax collector this morning, this Zacchaeus character, the wee little man, as, um, as our children's stories have told us. And uh, alongside of last week's message, let's take in maybe a deep breath, hopefully, of joy this morning. So I just want to tell this gospel story in Luke chapter 19. Uh, You can follow along in your Bibles. I think it'll probably be on the screen behind me, but I'm just going to kind of tell the story as we move down through it. And so Jesus is passing through the area of Jericho uh, on his way to Jerusalem. Now, we're at the point in the story in the Gospel of Luke where this specific uh, trip to Jerusalem is a significant one because it's his last one. And so it's interesting that this particular story comes in the context of what's going to follow in just a chapter to what we know of and what we talk about at Easter as the triumphal entry. And so this is that journey to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And so, uh, as you can think about what might be going on in the mind of Jesus, in the heart of Jesus, he knows what's going to be coming along, and in that context, we have this story. And so, Jesus passes through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, and there in Jericho is this man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, and he was wealthy, not only a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Um, You might describe the role of a chief tax collector as like the ceo of tax collectors so under the ceo you have all of these other tax collectors this is the guy that gets bonuses off of all the minions who work right so this is the person in our context who would get the 10 million dollar 20 million dollar kind of bonus for the way the company goes throughout the year Um, so this is the kind of person that zacchaeus is which makes him thought of, in a certain way, among the people that are following Jesus around, some more of the common folk. Um, To put this at a more visceral level, uh, if you remember in 2008, when the financial crisis uh, hit, um, there was the COO of a company called Enron, you remember Enron? I don't think we're dating ourselves too much here, but Enron was this energy corporation, and so they cooked the books uh, in such a way uh, that eventually led to the loss of billions and billions of dollars from investors, people's pensions, all these kinds of things. I think there's like a Disney B movie that was made uh, regarding the storyline. Jim Carrey's Fun with Dick and Jane is kind of another movie that, that describes this or whatnot. Uh, But uh, the guy that was behind all this, his name was Jeffrey Skilling, um, and he's one of these white-collar criminal kinds of folks. If you think about that kind of person who bilks the money out of the people and profits off of them and has really no, um, no sense of consequence to the common person, this is the kind of person Zacchaeus is. Okay, so if you think of white-collar criminal, this is kind of the person that we would see Zacchaeus being represented as in this story. Now, this is a story, because of that, this story challenges me a lot. Because, uh, in in my heart anyway, it's it's easier for me to love and, and have compassion for the people that Jesus interacts mostly with in the Gospels, The sinners, the prostitutes, the down-and-out, the people who are diseased, all those kinds of people, I'm like, yes, they deserve pity. Not the white-collar criminal guy or woman, right? I don't know if that's you too, but I I don't have much pity uh, for them. Um, But this is what's so shocking about this story. Here we have Jesus, and we'll see Jesus hanging out with exactly this sort of person the white collar criminal in our day and age or the billionaire who is making money off of the 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 hourly workers who pay more taxes than they do like this is the kind of atmosphere that we're talking about the cynical side of me wants to say as we go along in this passage that it's easy for the rich to give up out of their abundance right it's easy for them to do the right thing and get rid of some of their riches, but actually it's not because in between the passage that we read last week and this week, uh, there's, <laughs> there's the, the passage of another rich man who is very familiar to us uh, just by the title, the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler has a lot too, and it's not easy for the rich young ruler to give his stuff up. He walks away and he's sad. And so uh, that, that's not necessarily the case, that it's easier for those with more to give it up because we see just in the story previously that that is not the case. And so this is who Zacchaeus is. And so you kind of can get a, a sense from a visceral level of who uh, not only he is, but how the crowd is responding and reacting uh, to him. So we wanted to see who Jesus was, um, but because he's supposedly uh, physically short he can't see over the crowd. Now there's a couple ways you can take that. Either he is literally physically short and can't see over the crowd or most likely too the crowd knows who this person is and is literally crowding him out. Uh, So it's like it's like when you're getting off uh, of the highway and and you're the law-abiding kind person who gets in the line along with everybody else as opposed to cutting ahead and then getting in the line kind of thing. Um, the crowd is not letting him get in, right? They're, they're boxing him out, so to speak, uh, because they know who he is. Uh, so, so he's being boxed out by the crowd. And so uh, what happens is he climbs this this tree, which is probably like or akin to one of the trees that we have out front there, those really fun trees for climbing for, for kids. And so he climbs up them wanting to get sight of Jesus. So up until this point of the story, um, there's, there's not too much positive uh, that's happened. And uh, maybe Luke's trying to set the stage for this. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's not a positive side of the story. Zacchaeus is, is being boxed out by the crowd. The white collar criminal is being boxed out by the crowd. Um, And so he climbs this tree, but then there's this turn of the story uh, that begins to focus on what Jesus does with this tax collector. So Jesus, in the midst of all of this crowd and all of this commotion, uh, and you can almost sense this change of tone here, he gets to this point, this tree where Zacchaeus is. And you can almost imagine it. It's not like he's looking way up. It's probably like Jesus is looking right up here. Zacchaeus, old Zac, is just on a branch. And Jesus is looking up to him. And there's some, I mean, there's just some sense of joy within Jesus' voice. Who's looking at this white-collar criminal who has has been uh, just made to be on the outside from the crowd. And he looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I've got to hang out with you today. We've got to spend time together today. Which is a whole turn and a whole change in the story. This small statement is loaded with meaning. Loaded with meaning. Um, I have a, a short story I'll tell you about myself as a child. I have this memory It would have been before fourth grade, because it was at our old house on Main Street. This is tangential, but if you know Landisville, our old house on Main Street is the one with the toothbrush out front. Anybody? No? It's a toothbrush that's carved into an old tree, because it was a dentist office afterwards. Anyway, that's where I grew up, for the first few years of life, anyway. Um, And and so this story is, this memory is a memory of invitation. it's funny, I still remember his name, but his name was Tim Good. Tim, if you're watching out there somewhere, hi. Um, you had an impact on my life in third grade. Uh, but he called, and he invited me over to play. And I was so excited. And I know that I, I don't want you to have pity on me, but just matter-of-factly, I, I didn't get many invites to play. I know, Ah, right. Um, And I was so excited when my parents said yes that I I literally stormed out the front door and the storm door broke. You know how it swings back? It didn't swing back anymore, it was was gone because I was so excited that Tim Good invited me over to play. I don't remember if I had a good time or not. In fact, I don't think I got another invite after that. (laughs) At least it wasn't memorable to me. Uh, but I do remember being so excited that I got an invitation to come over to somebody's house because they were so rare that I literally busted the screen door off of its hinges. My boys are back there thinking, you poor soul. <laughs> but this is what Jesus does with this white-collar criminal. He, he sees him up in this tree and he says, Zacchaeus, I've got to come over to your house today. We have to spend time together. And when Jesus said this, the crowds then go absolutely berserk. They go crazy. Why do they go crazy? Well, it's because this statement of, I've got to go to your house today, is loaded with cultural meaning that is lost to us. Dining together, which would have been what they would do. This is an invitation. Jesus is inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' table. So they, they, they sit around the table together. And being around the table together in that day and that age meant something very different than it does in our age. Brennan Manning puts it this way in his book called A Glimpse of Jesus. He says, Jesus' sinner guests were all aware that table fellowship entailed more than mere politeness and courtesy. Get this, it meant peace, acceptance, reconciliation, and fraternity. Jesus inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house meant that he is accepting this white-collar criminal. It was an extension of friendship. Jesus' invitation to his, him is not, Zacchaeus, I want to come over so I can set you straight. It's Zacchaeus, I want to come over, I want to spend time with you because I want to be your friend. And this is, this is what makes the crowd go absolutely crazy. It's offensive to them that this person who is bilking them out of their money, that is in charge of taxing them more than what the taxes call for, they're infuriated that Jesus, this rabbi teacher, is inviting himself over to the white-collar criminal's house. And what's interesting to notice here is this, that Jesus invites himself over before Zacchaeus does anything. Zacchaeus doesn't change. Zacchaeus doesn't, doesn't do what we're going to see he does. He doesn't do any of that before or as a prerequisite to Jesus getting, asking to come to his house. Which kind of flip-flops how we think things work. Right? We think, well, we've, before we've got to come to the table or before, uh, we, before Jesus shows up at our table, our house has to get all cleaned up. Right? We have to have everything in proper order. But this is upending that paradigm altogether. Jesus invites himself over before Zacchaeus does anything. Jesus is making a statement about Zacchaeus and about himself and about God. God desires to be around our table. God desires friendship. To Zacchaeus, this is an invitation he knew he didn't deserve. He knew what table fellowship meant. He knew what Jesus inviting himself over to his house meant. It's an extension of friendship and acceptance. And so, think about the contrast and the experience of what Zacchaeus is is experiencing in this crowd. The majority hate him. The majority loathe him. And, And the minority, this one man, this rabbi, Jesus, looks up to him and says, we've got to become friends. And then it's the scene that expands to the whole crowd and the people begin to mutter that he's gone to the house of a sinner. And this isn't just Pharisees, this is the whole crowd who's muttering this. This is probably a crowd who would have taken comfort in other cases that, oh, well, Jesus is going to the house of sinners. This is great. Jesus gets to hang out. He he wants to befriend people like me. But for all of us, there's probably that person or that group of people who are off limits to the friendship of Jesus, is there not? So even though we say, oh, yes, Jesus wants to be the friend of sinners in one breath, and then another breath, when we find out Jesus wants to be their friend too, we're like, oh, what is he doing? That can't be God. That can't be Jesus. And so the people begin to mutter about that, and, and they begin to complain. But Zacchaeus is filled with so much joy. He stands up and he says to the Lord, this is in response to and in the midst of the crowd. Look, Lord, here and now, here and now, I give half of my possessions back to the poor. And if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus isn't just giving away there because uh, he's, he's still a Jew. He's still a part of the people of Israel. He has some sense of Torah, some sense of law, some sense of re- what's required of him. And so he's not just paying back one for one. In Exodus 22, uh, there's, there's prerequisites that are given for thieves to pay back. The thief shall pay back Um, This is Exodus 22.1, the thief shall pay back five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So it's not just that Zacchaeus is saying, look, I've wronged you. I'm going to pay back one for one. But in what he's doing here, he's confessing something about himself. He's not just done something that is wrong. The essence of who he is is a thief. And through what he is doing, he is confessing that this is who he is. And so when, when he says these things, I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times as much. That four times as much recognize, is Zacchaeus recognizing and expressing his thievery, his identity as a thief. But there's just, I don't know about you, but I read this passage and And with the exception of the crowd, you know, the the majority there, there's this joyfulness that is going back and forth between Zacchaeus and Jesus. There's this joyfulness that Jesus has as he says, Zacchaeus, I've got to go to your house today. We've got to know each other. Let's get to know each other. Let's become friends. And there's this joy of, of Zacchaeus in giving up this way of life. In giving away these things, there's a joy in a response that he gives in the midst of this crowd. Look, Lord, here and now, I just give it up. I give it up. And then in verses 9 and 10, we, we read this. Jesus said to him, today salvation's come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and saved that which is lost. What's interesting here is salvation is not described here as as merely uh, Zacchaeus receiving Jesus' invitation to come to his house. That's not when salvation takes place. That's not when Jesus describes salvation happening. It's not just becoming a friend of Jesus. Salvation happens when there is a change of life. Salvation happens when there is a change of life. Um, When we think about salvation, and I think one of the things that this passage does, hopefully, is challenge our understanding and our perspective on the breadth of what salvation means. I think most of us, probably if we've grown up in the context of the church or if you've been around the church or if you've heard Christians talk about salvation, sounds more like the tax collector from last week, does it not? Like we want to get people to say, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, right? It should be this gut-wrenching kind of experience. And those things are, there is no doubt, place for that. But that's only one end of the spectrum. It's not a full picture. Because salvation is not just this gut-wrenching repentance. We see here that it is something also inclusively joyful. Like, how many of you, in your thoughts about how the church presents salvation to the world, think that joy is going to be the immediate response? Right? We're not even trained to look for joy, are we? We're trained to help people feel the depth of their sin. Right? And that is true. True. But there's also this experience of salvation that is just pure and utter joy that we don't expect at all. What if when we're presenting Jesus to people, one of our expectations is, good God, this is too good to be true. And and there's this joyful response that this is actually the best news that they've ever heard in their life. And they want to give themselves fully to it. What if we as a church would begin to have not only the expectation of the have mercy on me, but God, I'm going to give you everything because you want to befriend me. Like, joy ought to be part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus. And presenting salvation to people ought to be done with joy, not with fear and manipulation, but because God wants to offer them life. And so our presence in the world is not just to try to convince people in a fearful way that they've got to confess that that they're sinners in need of mercy. Yes, that's true. And we can also go into the world with this odd expectation that people might actually receive the message of Jesus with pure joy. So I wonder how Zacchaeus might help us to understand and to experience the spectrum differently. I wonder how Zacchaeus might be an invitation for us to think about the people that Jesus befriends, and how people might respond to the people that Jesus befriends. How might this salvation story in particular, because this is a salvation story that we get in the Gospels, and there are many, right? How might this one give us an invitation to anticipate joyful responses to Jesus? I wonder for you and for me and for us collectively as a church how this characteristic of joy might help also shape and define us. So it's not just about, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yes, it is that. But it's also this incredible joy-filled response That is a response to the joy of Jesus wanting to be with you, with us, with all. Friends, I think joy, and this is coming from an Enneagram 4 who like is glass half full, right? This is a hard thing for me to say, but joy needs to be, not joy needs to be, but I want joy to be a part of my life with God. I want joy to be a part of my life collectively with us as a church. I want joy to be one of the things that I show to the world as, as a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Amen. And so we come to a table today, not unlike Zacchaeus' table. And uh, servers, I'll invite you to come forward. But the table to me continues to be a a centering